Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So one of the things I think is interesting in the Obi Randall discussion is that I still don't think of Obi as as like being a really good three-point shooter. He obviously showed development, especially in the later games when he actually had playing time. But I don't think of Obi as like, oh, you, like I don't, when I, whenever I see Obi take a three, I usually think like, oh, that the defense is probably fine with that. Like compared to other things Obi could do, let him take a three. But other than Randall's 2021 season, and like he's a little up and down, but generally like he's been down in most of his career as a below average, like three point shooter. So Obi doesn't even need to improve that much to get to where Randall basically is anyway. And if, if three point shooting is a category that Randall doesn't have over Obi, then there's a lot they of finished with the same percentage last year, by the way, what's that they finished with the same three point percentage last year. Yeah. If, if Obi becomes equal or superior to Randall as a three point shooter, I mean, that really, I think, pushes even well, I, harder I think towards... Yeah. What, a lot of, what a lot of people say is Randall can create his own shot, right? Which to me is like, if we have Brunson and Barrett here and we want to give them more touches, I think you can always use more shot creation, but also those players have to be good off the ball, right? That's how the Warriors work. Like, the Warriors have a lot of shot creators, but they can also function off ball. Um, but I mean, do you think Obi, Obi can't really create his own offense? Do you think that, how much does that weigh into your evaluation? I'm not convinced that he can't. I think, I think given the role he's been in, he can't, but I think if you had an obviously, you know, again, um, just a wide range of how things can, can end up going down. But if you had, let's say with the Knicks in theory, Obi's your four and you have quick, decisive playmakers, all around him. So like hopefully a point guard who can play make another wing who can, who can play make and not necessarily, you know, all primary guys, but like, like the old Knicks, like a team where just people can move the ball and they're smart the way the Adelman Kings were, the way the jazz have often been. Um, If you just had a team like that, I think with quick, like four on threes that you can create off action on the perimeter and quick switches or Obi ends up with like a guard on him. Um, I think Obi can create out of that. I think if Obi had the opportunity and the security to know, like, we need you to learn how to catch the ball and hit a quick turnaround jumper over an opponent who, when they jump, is half a foot below you. Like, a lot of the moves at KP, we wanted him to learn against smaller people. I think Obi could do some of that. So he's still, you know, secondary. He's getting the ball from someone and then going into his move. But I think, I don't think we have at all explored the full capacity of the things that Obi Toppin can do if he is given the opportunity to like fully do them. So I think playmaking, uh, I mean, Randall's light years ahead of him right now, but I, I, I can say, I can say that I know what Obi's limit is. That That's what I disagree. I don't think playmaking is because like Obi's a way better passer. Like, do I, I agree guess, on that? Yeah. I mean, oh, Randall gets more assists, but in terms of just the vision and like just knowing Think and thinking like a step ahead, like when Obi yes. takes a dribble handoff, he's not just like he can see that. Um, I'm Alex, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Like, who do you think as a playmaker to like kind of make people better than around them? Who are you taking in that? I think it depends. I think Randall is better in that, like, like what you said, he gets more assists, so he's good at playmaking in that, like, Rajon Rondo sense. 
you know, where it's like he can fish for an assist pretty easily. And like when he was as good as he was in 2021, he was really good at doing that. I thought, you know, I, I don't think that's like a super hot take. Like he was able to go in and he would generate double teams. And at least from that one scenario, he was pretty good at passing out of those and finding the guy that became open due to him becoming double teamed. Whereas this past year, I felt like he wasn't getting quite as much respect from defenses that exposed his, it, as you said, you know, I, maybe he's not as good of a passer as we thought. Like, you know, he, he's still getting a decent number of assists, but how many turnovers is he getting, you know, and how many almost turnovers is he getting where he's not quite putting the ball where it needs to be. And it's kind of disrupting the whole play and the whole flow of the offense. Whereas Obi, I think, you know, when we're talking about, you know, you've brought up creation a few times. I think when people talk about the creation differences between the two, it's like in the Carmelo Anthony sense of it, you know what I mean? Where it's like, if you give Julius Randle the ball, you know, but he's not even he's not even as efficient as Carmelo Anthony, right? Know. At this stage, but I'm but I'm just saying, like, if you give Randle the ball in space at one on one against the defender and just say score the ball on this guy, versus doing the same thing to Obi Toppin, Randle is better at that one facet of basketball, and I think that's what people go back to. As the far ball as, don't stop, basketball. yeah, the ball don't stoppers go to that sort of. Uh, sort of uh, uh, mentality about what creation is. But I, I, you know, I, that's not how basketball is played, at least not good basketball. Maybe that's Tibbs's favorite version and Randall's favorite version, but it's not how good teams play. Um, and, you know, so functionally on a basketball court with five players on the court against another five players, I think Obi does have better abilities to try to get his teammates involved, which is with the skills, like what you said, where, he could come around off a dribble handoff and immediately be looking for like, okay, is someone going to cut? Is the defense collapsing on me? Am I going to be able to whip this out to the corner? Um, is the defense not reacting fast enough? Should I just go up and go for a jam or a layup or whatever? Which he got so much better at those like acrobatic finishes around the hoop last year, whether it was his ridiculous like up and under dunks that he would pull out fairly often or the you know, just the general finesse that he had with contorting his body around people. He's astonishing at the rim. He's like literally yeah. astonishing. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's definitely better at that, which is another facet of playmaking, like knowing when to make the right call. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's better at those things for sure. Uh, I, you know, again, I don't want, I don't want Obi Toppin bringing the ball up the floor. Like I once wanted Julius Randle bringing the ball up the floor, which again is where that difference in like what is playmaking comes in. Like, can you say? I mean, as Knicks fans, we should say uh, Dallas Amico, friend of the pod, one of my favorite Knicks analysts out there, once wrote an article about Noah Vonley bringing, <laughs> and I was all in on that, and I bought into that a hundred percent. I have bought into Point Hazonia, I have bought into Toure Murray. What about Point Knox? No, Point I Knox. never bought into that. That's, that's a different level. But We don't talk about uh, that article. I think there are people who probably buy into Point Cam, the guy Knox was traded for. But Sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. But as Knicks fans, we, we are definitely starved of guys that can just bring the ball up and, and do crazy shit. So. Well, and it, it all comes back to, right, like getting Brunson this year. So, like, you get Brunson because you want to fill this gaping void at point guard that has existed forever where you haven't had this like 
surefire guy at the like nominal point guard spot that could do that in so long, or at least do it competently. You thought maybe you had a good flyer last year with Kemba. It was terrible. You had Alfred Payton for two years before that, more terrible. You know, it's like you're finally getting a guy who's like actually in his prime, ready to rock, like give him the ball and have him bring it up. Uh, we're now at a point where we don't have to fantasize about like, oh, could Julius Randle be like a, effectively the point guard or like the LeBron James of this team? Because it doesn't have to be now. But I don't think he realizes that. And that, that's what we're going to see if they don't move him. <laughs> and the other thing is, like, do, do you think he – because I talked about this with, with Schwinn on the pod, and um, in L.A., he wasn't – he was just a kind of role man. I – every time the Knicks played L.A., like, he gave Porzingis work. He also couldn't guard Porzingis. But, um, you know, like, he was – he just – he was a wrecking ball, right? Off ball, getting the ball on the move, you know, not a lot of uh, thinking and all that, right? Just kind of – he was, you know, I think Randall's at his best, the way we describe running backs in the NFL, a one-cut runner, right? Um, and Randall's at his worst when, if you look at that analogy, if when Randall tries to be Barry Sanders, he's not as good. When Randall can be Adrian Peterson, he's really good. Um, but it seems like he almost doesn't want to be that because he asked to be, he asked to leave the, the Lakers, right? He did not want to stay there. Um, he came to New York in part to be the guy. Um, how much stock do you put into all those things, right? Because I think a lot of these reports can be, you know, they're fed through multiple layers of the telephone. Randall, to me, for I have tried to keep all of my criticisms of him to, like, on the court. Like, if I see him not run back on defense, I'm going to say he's not running back on defense. I'm not going to call him lazy for it. If I see him, like, take bad shots, I'm going to call him selfish. But um, but that's that's... You know, how much do you think it's just, you know, uh, and I th- I get that this can be a tough thing to glean, but, you know, do you think that's the thing? Like, he just is unwilling, even if it is Jalen Brunson, a guy who has a lot of cachet with him, to, like, kind of step into a secondary role? Uh, I'll, I'll throw that to you first, Miranda, if you want to get to that. I'm very interested in that question. Um, and... I think it's interesting on two levels. It's interesting on on whether Randall would acquiesce to that sort of thing. And I also, uh, this is something I wanted to ask both of you before. Like, in, you know, in real, in like the real politic of putting a roster together, do you think that the Knicks ultimately would want Randall accepting and being effective in this lesser tertiary role? Like where he's, he's obviously taking on less quantity, but... It's qualitatively improving. Do you think the Knicks want that if their ultimate goal is to trade him? Because with what he's making, like, do you think teams would say, yep, we want, you know, four years, 119 million for our tertiary star? Or do you think most teams, just because of the money, cap obviously is rising? So I honestly don't know what to make of this. Like, do you think Randall's contract is something that would appeal to someone as yep, there's our third guy. He's going to put us over the top. I have I have a great response to that, and it would be a return question. I'll lob it right back, like like sure. U.S. Open tennis. How many teams in the NBA right now do you think would sign up for bringing Andrew Wiggins onto their team if they were given an opportunity for like a first round pick or something? 
if they're how good. many teams would trade like a first for Wiggins? Yeah, like let's say contenders. So let's say that like a third of the league are contenders, like 10, 10 teams. How many? And he's making like, yeah, okay. Um, how many contenders would trade a first round pick for Andrew Wiggins? They're not popping off my head. Um, I mean, I think, I think the just to rip through them quick. I think the Bucks would do it. I don't think the Celtics would do it. I could see the Sixers doing it. Um, I could see the obviously it works on the Warriors. I can't see Phoenix doing it just because I, I, I think they already have the, the rotation they want. Uh, Clippers, that would be kind of nasty if the Clippers added him. Um, Lakers certainly would. Dallas would. I think a lot of teams would. Right. So that's my point. Like, I think that Randall on his current dollar figure is about equal to Andrew Wiggins. He's making less yeah. than Jalen Brunson now, less than RJ Barrett, or like about the same as Jalen Brunson and less than RJ Barrett once RJ's extension kicks in. So I just think like those sort of players do have the level of value. Like Randall did sign still a value contract if that's all he becomes. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's still a good deal if he becomes like a third star. So I think the best thing that the Knicks could do for his value if they want to trade him is to turn him into that sort of player. Sort of like what happened when Minnesota traded Andrew Wiggins and paid to get off of Andrew Wiggins, like paid extra in that D'Angelo Russell trade to use Wiggins as a trade chip there. The Warriors then took him and said, why were they tasking you with being like the alpha? Like, we're going to just make you into... Not even the beta. What comes after the beta? The the theta? Uh, I don't know. Gamma, like, I don't know. Whatever gamma. the gamma. <laughs> you're going to be Delta. the next letter in the Greek alphabet. You know, like yeah, you're yeah. not even going to be the one or the two. We're going to make you into, into like the super role player. And mm-hmm. he turned into almost like a souped up Andre Iguodala in many ways from yeah. when Iggy was on those championship teams. So I think a ton of teams would sign up for that. Um, and so I think I think from the Knicks perspective, if Randall is willing to agree to do that, and if he's serious about going to a contender, that's the other thing. Is Rand- Does Randall want to be the best player on a mediocre team? Mm-hmm. Or does he want to be a cog in a real contender? And if the answer mm-hmm. is the former, then he could just keep doing the same things he's been doing. And the Knicks will probably pay to get off of him at some point, And he could go do that in, you know, wherever. <laughs> uh, freaking whatever. The, the Kings or something in a few years when they get desperate and want their next big thing. You know what I mean? But if he wants to like legitimately contribute to a real winning team, he's going to have to recalibrate at some point. And we've already seen like he could play good man, man on man defense. He can, you know, he can make some decent decisions. He can shoot somewhat decently and better off the catch. I think than he did when he was shooting like step backs and stuff, Hmm. except for that one super nonsense stretch during the empty gyms. But mostly like most players, he shoots better off the catch than he does you know, off a pull-up. And he also does, as we saw with the Lakers and then with the Pelicans, like he could be a high-usage pick-and-roll man, but he could be a good pick-and-roll man. So it's it's going to take a, you know, a slice of humble pie from him to, you know, make that work. But if he's willing to, I, I think that there would definitely be a market for him because he's definitely very talented. Let me ask you one more random question. Um, if your NBA, if your Nick Ferry godmother came down and offered you, like, I sprinkle this, Randall is going to have another 2021 season. 
It's like all NBA second team kind of season. 25, 10, 5, the shooting, you know, 40. He's going to have 2021 all over again. Would you actually want that? Because if Randall played that well, Obi's getting nothing. And there's no guarantee, again, that Obi would, that Randall would ever play that well again in the future. It would just guarantee, like, he's probably not going anywhere the rest of his deal because if he has two years like that, like, his value is going to go up to you. So you can have Randall, like, in peak Randall God mode, but would you actually want it next season? I think I. That's a tough question. I mean, it's weird, right? It's complicated because I I feel like I want to see Obi shine and have him have the opportunity to, but I mean, twenty twenty one Randall was a phenomenal player, and if he could prove that he could do that in non empty gyms, then who's to say that he couldn't sustain it? I guess that would be my follow up question to the Knicks fairy godmother would be like, was it just going to be a one off, and then the next year he's going to suck again? Because <laughs> If so, then no, I don't want it. Keep the fairy dust to yourself. We'll just go ahead as planned. Stacy, um, how many of the? Sorry, both of you. No, it's okay. Go ahead, Stacy. I, I, Stacy, I was curious to this um, a little bit before we actually started recording, um, talking about um, the upside of the young players. I just I'm, I don't think this means anything. I'm just curious. Do you when you look at the ultimate upside of say Obi RJ? Quickly and um, and Grimes, um, like feel free to dream upside. Do you think any of them have an upside above Randall's twenty twenty one season? As an overall contributor, yeah, yeah, I think all three of them do. The three being who? RJ. Quickly and Grimes and no four. I'll put I'll put Obi in there. All four. Uh, I think Grimes as an impact can reach the level of a guy like Mikhail Bridges. Um, I think RJ Barrett. People have talked about. People have been people have talked about a Jimmy Butler type ceiling. I don't know that. I think Jimmy Butler is a really outlier of a player. First of all, just as a side note. This dude had, like, his first season in college, he had a free throw rate above one. That means he drew more free throws than shot attempts. That was a small sample size, um, but his next two years were, like, 87 and 89%. Was was he a Marquette? He was a Marquette, yeah. Okay. This is not a knock on R.J. Barrett at all. This is to say that Jimmy Butler's most important strength is an outlier. It is as much an outlier as Steph's shooting is. There are There is nobody who draws fouls the way that Jimmy Butler does. And I think RJ might be the best facsimile of that, but he's not bad. Um, but, you know, that skill set, you can see the path to that being. And I think he's, he, I, I do think he's a better passer than Julius Randle. Um, I think to the extent that I've heard about RJ having tunnel vision or not being able to pass out on his drives, I've thought that was overstated and often dependent on personnel. Um, so I, I, I'm still, I think I'm a little bit lower on people who think that RJ is going to be this top 10 player in the NBA, but I think top 20 is very much within, within reason. And the biggest thing is kind of his, his work ethic, of course. Right. I mean, this is the, that's the, that is a, you, you're lying to yourself. You don't think that was a big part of the Knicks extending him. He is that guy. He is a culture setter, uh, for the Knicks. Um, 
quickly, I think, with his pull-up shooting ability. Like, you can't talk about a lot of guys with his pull-up shooting ability. Like, guards, guards of that profile do not defend as well as quickly. He doesn't miss rotations. Um, he's got the length to make things happen. He's got the quickness to play on ball. Uh, and he's a good passer. Like, he's just an extremely complete player. Um, which is why it's tough to find a comp for quickly because most guards of that ilk have some weakness and quickly's thing is less that he doesn't have a he, he has he doesn't really have a weakness besides the fact that he's not six five but his length even makes up for that um, it's more about the fact that he doesn't score at the rim that well but um, he's a very complete player for his profile the problem is more um, in what is he great at. I don't know that he's an elite pull-up shooter. Alex, you might disagree. I'd be interested if you thought that. Um, I don't think he's an elite pull-up shooter on like a Steph level or something. Well, Steph is outlier, so let's not even talk about Steph. I don't know that he's going to get much higher than 35, 36. So like, let's say Dame level. But I think he's a good pull-up shooter. And I think that opens up a lot of other things he can do. I think I could see him being top 20 or top 30, which I think is higher than Julius Randle is now. Um, and then, uh, and Obi, um, I think it, it's, it's team specific. I think there's teams where, and this is kind of what I was getting at before, given where I think the Knicks thrive last year, if you remember for me, the most fun Knicks games, there's the heat game. There's the, the, the most, no, no, it wasn't even the heat game. The heat game was really just that fourth quarter. Uh, I, and if you guys, I, I went on, I went on locked on Knicks after that, Alex, I missed you that time, but, um, I went out with Gavin that time. We talked about it. That was one of the most fun games of the season. But the most fun game for me was the Clippers game where they outscored. They played the young guys, and they also the vets were playing. Like, Randall was healthy. When the young guys played, and these were lineups that were comprised of Grimes, IQ, Obi, RJ, Cam, and Sims. There was five of those six were on the floor at all times. They outscored the Clippers, who were a play-in team last year. Um... 36 to 4. So and and you could you watch that game. They were ball hawking on defense, they're getting out in transition, moving the ball on offense. That to me is the vision of this team. And that wasn't the only time we saw that. And I just I think for this team, Obi fits into that much more. But there could be another team. You know, like I think Randall would be I would, I think Randall would fucking kill it on the Warriors, you know, especially if he bought it on defense. If he played, I don't think he's Draymond Green. But I think if he played the Draymond or even Wiggins role on the Warriors, I think you'd kill it. Um, so with those kind of things, they can be team specific. But um, to answer your question, yeah, I, I think those guys can be better than Randall, who I think is somewhere between. I, I don't think he played this way last year, but he's somewhere between the thirty-fifth and forty-fifth best player in the league. That would be my estimation, of Randall, right now. If he buys in and, and plays into your scheme. Yeah, I so to double back on the quickly thing, I, I'm actually I've never been I'm high on quickly's ability to shoot pull up shots if he has the room and I'm high on his ability to create the room. But the thing that would that I think will always hold him back from potentially being in that like Luca, Steph, uh, you know, Dame, whoever else you want to say tier of like the best creating pull up guys in the league would be I, his release is still a little weird to me and it always has been. And it always will be where I feel like it, it takes longer to get into his shot. 
Like, and it's lower, right? Yeah, and it's lower. Or he starts from a lower point. Like, he eventually gets to the high point, but he starts from around, like, his face. You know, and it's not a quick movement away from his face. Like, he, like, gets into it, lines it up. He's got that very distinct, like, wide-legged stance with, like, mm-hmm. where he almost looks like he's, like, leaning into it as he's shooting, sort of. And I just think that that will forever sort of limit his ability to, like, I don't know, if he had, like, Ben Simmons on him or something and is trying to, like, work over a screen and free himself up for a quick three-pointer, I think that release will always limit him in those sort of scenarios, which would, in turn, sort of cap his, like, star upside in some ways. That said, he's gotten so much better at so many other parts of the game that, like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think at his absolute ceiling, you always, you always bring this up, but, like, at one point... No, I, I, I just pick it up to as a it's yeah. Oh, I know. I, I know. It's, it's like trolling me, and it's funny, and I love it. But I, I'm gonna troll myself now and say like at one point we were doing like, well, what do you see the ceilings of all these guys as being? And it was like after IQ's rookie season, and we had you on locked on Knicks, and like you said, we were like, oh, what do you think for IQ? And I forget who you even said, but like I said, Tony Parker, which by the way would be an awesome outcome. Like would Tony be. Parker's a Hall of Famer. But and then I was apparently I was like, well why not Steph Curry? And you were like, whoa. And I was like, I and now I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. But at any rate, uh, I think I think like we were I think this was in the fever throws of the rookie season. Yeah. And but like I've because I feel like a lot of people know me as like the quickly guy. And like I was like shit, even I was too low on him maybe. I don't yeah. know. So. Yeah. I just, you know, when I look at, like, what is his ceiling could be, it always is in, in, like, a high, high tier of player. Granted, I think we've now seen through two years. I mean, granted, we only get so many looks at him because of how Tibbs plays him. Uh, towards the end of the season, it certainly made a really good case for the fact that, like, yeah, maybe there is a star waiting in this guy that just needs to finally be uncorked, you know? Um, but, like... You know, I, I don't think it's entirely likely, but I do think that he could reach that level of like self-creating player who's also great at creating for others, who's also good at all of the fundamentals and plays good defense. I mean, that yeah, could be like a top twenty player in the league potentially if he really hits yeah, the I mean, ceiling. The comp I've always had for him is like Kyle Lowry slash Van Vliet. I I will bet you a dollar that if you ask the Messiah jury who on the Knicks he really liked. Maybe maybe because RJ Barrett is Canadian, he would say RJ. I have a feeling he would love Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. Um, they they took Malachi Flynn two picks after Emmanuel quickly. I wonder if they would have taken quickly then. But that's because if you look at the thing like his skill set, he's a guy. By the way, he pops in advanced stats a lot more than he pops in the eye stats on the eye test. Right by advanced stats, he's like the Knicks' best player. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and you've seen, I've seen guys like that, like Kyle Lowry by like, if you do three, five year DRAPM at Kyle Lowry's peak, he was a top 10 player. Most people would have viewed him more as top 30. Um, I think that applies to Van Fleet as well. So I think what is the truth? The truth is probably somewhere in the middle where like Kyle Lowry is probably better than the 30th best player, but probably not a top 10 player. And I think that's where quickly ends up. Like a guy who's like very well known as a, good player but if you look at like his impact it's it's even much higher the other thing to note from that draft too you know not only would the raptors maybe have taken him but there was there was like reports out there that the knicks got to where they got to get him because the denver nuggets were interested in him if i remember correctly who i think had the next pick 
Oh, was it? Like, I thought it was the Celtics actually, but or was it the Celtics? Oh, I might be conflating that with Grimes. Grimes, I think, had a lot of fans with the the Nuggets. But then I, I was going to say though, then the the Nuggets wound up taking Bones, Bones Highland, who's like almost a uh, I don't want to say a carbon copy, but an extremely similar player to quickly. Yeah, and it, and and also a guy the Knicks were. I think the Knicks ultimately settled on Grimes over Bones. But from all the pre-draft reports, those Bones was a guy they were very high on. And they now, probably looked at him and were like, do we need two quicklies for Tibbs to not play, or do we want to get a different arc? I, I am of the opinion that two quicklies would be great if you just have... Because like, my bold prediction for next year, by the way, is that Bones Highland is going to take a leap on defense the same way quickly took... I mean, we can all agree, quickly as a rookie was not great on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, he was... Um, I, I would argue he was a better overall defender than Grimes. Grimes is rookie. I think Grimes is a better defender than Quickly was as a rookie. And I think Bones going to take a similar leap in a second year. But but I, I think that um, the like long pull-up shooting combo guard who are undervalued because they also tend to be good on defense. So, but but we've talked a lot about about that. Um, so I, I want to ask you a couple of predictions, Alex, if this mm-hmm. is um, so start of the season. I'm going to ask you a couple guys. Who do you think is on the roster? So I'm going to start with one Derek Rose. Is he on the roster? Or is he not? Yeah, he'll be on the roster. 100 percent. OK, Thousand Evan, percent. Evan Fournier. <laughs> um. I'm going to say also yes, I think, but less confident than Rose. Okay. And then the third one, this is the most important one, Ryan Archidiakono. No, that's that's a joke. Julius Randle. My heart says no. My mind says yes. Wow. Um, I think, like, as far as if he'll be on the roster or not. Um, so my, my heart says, no, he won't be because the Knicks will put two and two together that they should probably move him. Uh, hopefully a deal will come up with like the Lakers or something. I feel like the Lakers are in that sweet spot of desperation right now where they, they have way higher aspirations than the Knicks and about the same ceiling as a team right now. <laughs> and uh, I feel like they're going to, they're going to feel the heat the closer we get to the season and look for some shakeup like they did with Westbrook last year, stupidly, um, and try to get Westbrook off the team and, you know, get some other impact player in. What other player is there that they could bring in at this stage? I can't think of really any that are potentially available. Uh, so I think that they would, you know, if the Knicks said, hey, give us Westbrook and your two future first round picks, we'll give you Randall. And maybe this is where Fournier comes in. Like, we'll give you Randall and Fournier, which works with the money because Westbrook gets paid such an obscene amount of money. Maybe they would be like, yeah, all right. What are first-round picks? Like, we're trying to win one more championship before LeBron leaves us to go play with this kid. They have been very cautious with those picks, though, so far. Have they? I mean, they just haven't found the right deal, I don't think. I think the, the AD trade and then the fact they even made a Westbrook trade to begin with, like, I feel like they're 
right. They're I think they're very desperate and kind of ripe for the 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 trading, you know, to to win a trade with them, or at least in the minds of the Knicks, win a trade. Uh, Julius Randle could very well go there, and like if he's gonna defer to anybody, he would defer to LeBron, who's you know one of the two or three greatest players of all time, and Anthony Davis, who he's previously played with, that he knows is you know when healthy one of the best players in the NBA. So like, I feel like he would defer. But it's also like, didn't he? So I talked to Shin about this. Sorry for rehashing stuff, but talk to Shin about this today. Didn't he also try to get away from the Lakers because they got LeBron? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I think that he was a little upset that they weren't going to give him more of a chance. But now at this stage in his career, wouldn't he? Which is, which is, by the way, if you're like a third year player, you're like, why would you sign LeBron instead of giving me more bull? Like that's a little okay, you know, yeah, like little little bold. Yeah, it was actually it was, yeah, I I don't know. But then the other thing too is like at this stage in his career, I feel like Randall would view himself more as like if he's approving a trade to the Lakers, it's to like make a big three there, you know, and like be the third star, be the new Chris Bosh or whatever, or you know, whatever the case may be. Like I think that he would just look at it differently now. Like he'd be like. This isn't an insult. This is a compliment. They want to add me to LeBron because, like, they know that we can accomplish a championship together or whatever. I, I feel like his mentality would be different this time around. Plus, time heals all wounds. He's probably at this point realized, like, maybe the grass isn't greener on the other side. And going back to L.A. and playing with LeBron wouldn't be so bad. Matt, I want, I want to get you in here. What do you think about those three players potentially being on the Knicks roster this season? Sorry, I was giving my dog dog food. <laughs> what was your question? Uh, so yeah, um, Rose Fournier Randall. How many of those players are on the roster when the season starts? All of them. All of them. Yep. Okay. I don't see this team. Make, I. I think Tibbs wants Rose on the team and knows that. He can't ask for more than 50 or 60 games in the regular season. So that dovetails nicely with, so I'm going to have to give some guard more minutes. Organically, there's some more minutes for quickly. And when Rose is available, that's that's Tim's guy. Like He wants him there. Um, Fournier, I don't see Fournier going anywhere until it's part of a larger deal. And I don't, I don't see any meaningful... Obviously, things things can come up that no one's heard about. I can't currently think of a big deal the Knicks would make that Fournier would be a part of. Um, and who's the third one? Oh, Randall. Um, I think I think Tibbs has some affinity for Randall. I think because of twenty twenty one, Tibbs is really really. If the if the ship's going down, Randall's on the ship. Tibbs is going down. Like, I think he likes Randall a lot. Um, I don't know how Thibodeau could could be like credited as he was last season by the young players specifically for like the extra practices he would he would hold all the time just with them, and then square that with like the obvious refusal to give them minutes. So Fournier, Rose, Randall. Those are three veterans. 
they can all play. Tibbs is going to play him. I, I don't know. This is what, what I was saying earlier. Like the, the question to me, if I don't know what to expect of this season, the Nick roster to me doesn't feel like it should be settled. Like this is like if you are, you know, writing a song and you get to the very last chord and instead of resolving it, you just let it this, you just let that suspended note like hang and the Knicks don't feel done. And I can't see if, if, if they're going to have 11 guys, Reddish is someone who's not going to play. I could see Sims getting frozen out of the rotation. I think that's going to happen. I mean, it's center, so they're always yeah. in foul trouble, but Sims is going to be situational, which we have to live with that. Uh, I don't, I, I like the Hardenstein signing side. I can't get too mad yeah, about that. Yeah, I do too. But I just think like Tibbs, I, I, have, I have wondered how much Tibbs and the front office are still on the same page. I think the organization is coherent and competent enough now that we don't get, the Knicks don't really leak stuff. Like if, if you think about the last five or six years, like the Knicks are not an embarrassment off the court. They're pretty tight ship. Um, but just watching how last season unfolded, particularly with the young players um, and the fact that now this off season, when Leon Rose wants to make the big move that he came here to make, he can't make it in part because his young players don't have the rep. Obviously, the draft picks were a thing, but like none of the none of the Nick young players, even RJ, moved the needle enough for another team to be like, okay, like that's we're dropping in for that. Um, yeah, I don't remember where I was going with that. No, I um, I am of the I I'm a little bit um, I tend to agree. I think. They want to keep Rose because just like him. I think for the people that in the front office that may think that it's worth getting more value from him, I I would love to see Rose in Dallas as a basketball fan. I think he'd be great there, playing next to Luca, shoring up that unit, replacing what they lost in Brunson. Um, you know, I I don't you can't we cannot get their twenty twenty three pick because of course we own it, but um, you know, I think that those kind of deals are probably the best use of Rose for us because we're not contending and he'd be more valuable to a team like Dallas or like a team with championship aspirations that could use a bench ball handler and a, who can also play it alongside a guy like Luka or a guy like Giannis or whoever. Um, but playing this out, right? If all three of those guys are on the, the roster next year, how do you see this playing out? Because I think the pessimist view is if if Randall doesn't buy in, I think the Knicks' biggest I think the, the Knicks' biggest opportunity to increase in that win total, besides just randomness favoring them, they did have a forty one net rating or uh, the net rating of a forty one win team last year. Um, so there was probably a little bit of luck involved in terms of them finishing with thirty seven. But in, in addition to that, Brunson is the biggest lever, right? If you get this guy to play the minutes, you know, to show what he showed when he didn't get play with Luca, maybe amp up his three-point rate a little bit because we know he's capable. It just doesn't take a lot. That's what can get them maybe to 45, 46 wins. Um, but the downside to that is if Randall doesn't buy in, does that cap it? Or if Fournier stays and Rose stays and quickly and Obi are just getting 12 to 20 minutes a game next year, does that cause... Pro- How do you see this playing out? And I'll throw this to you, Alex, first. Like, 
because the way I see it is this. My my view is that if if they were to just even if they had to use some of those protected firsts to get rid of Randall and Fournier, um, you're if you if they bet on the kids, if Leon Rose bets on the kids, even if they're an eight man rotation, you say, let's see, we got in Cam. Even we haven't even talked about Cam Reddish, but the way this is, like he's out of the rotation. We're we're fretting about IQs minutes. Cam's out, and we 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 wor- we use the, the first round pick on him. Um. You know, if you if you're in that position, um, you know, I, the way I see it playing out is, I think that's like a team that's fighting for a play-in spot. I think by December they're, you know, hovering around 500. I think at that point, if the front office is like, well, we need to move Fournier and Randall to see what we have, it won't go over as well. And if they still stuck, I think part of the reason they're not trading these guys, and I think you alluded to this a little bit, Alex, is that they don't want to lose trades. They don't want to give up value in a trade. Um, you know, if they trade them at the trade trade deadline, at that point, maybe it's too late. If they decide to say instead of that, we'll we'll throw the easiest sacrificial horse and we'll we'll fire Tibbs, that might be too late. And I think that if they hold on to this team and bet on it this season. And it ends up being a middling team that's a fringe ten seed. I think they're in a much worse position than if they just traded them now. And if they bet on the kids, and and you know, let's say quickly in a larger role is worse. Let's say Obi isn't ready for the power forward role. Um, you know, I I don't think anyone will kill Leon Rose for that, right? Um, you know, let's say you trade Randall to Charlotte or L.A. right, and Randall shows out. It's probably going to be more in an Andre Drummond way of showing out than like. This was a core piece. If you trade Rose, he pro- he's definitely going to show out. But it's also going to be like he's better placed if he's in Milwaukee or Dallas or something, right? I don't think Rose would Rose's job would really be in danger if he did that. I think if Rose sticks with this roster and they're middling by February, I think his, his job would be in jeopardy. And I wonder, because it seems like the conventional wisdom says everyone's coming back. And I wonder with like... Any any scenario I play out in my mind, there's like a five percent chance of this working out, keeping everyone and you know, Brunson takes them to the next level, Randall buys in, and Forty and Rose staying on the team keeps them a playoff team. Um, that would be worth it. And I think that has like a five percent chance of playing out. Whereas all the other scenarios I think are just much more in their favor if they're just to lean into the kids. But I don't know. Um I'll, I'll throw it to you, Alex. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm so to be clear, like when you asked me, like, do I think that these guys are going to be on the team? Like, I mostly I, I know that, but I, I'm yeah. just I'm playing out these scenarios, and maybe these are realistic. Like, that's, that's no, I know. Yeah, I was gonna say like all when I was talking about like with my heart and my mind, every single one in my heart, I say get rid of them, like <laughs> because I just think it makes more sense. You know, it, it. So this is like I feel like such a broken record. I feel like I bring this up on every single show i ever do including my own but like my number one thing with young cores everybody loves to like talk about having a young core and you know how great it is and blah blah blah. like oh the knicks have a young core and this that the other doesn't matter like you have the young core but like we're starting to see where it does matter like getting these guys playing time and finding ways to free it up for them because it's twofold right like we just saw the knicks struggle in a trade negotiation i think in large part because their young players haven't had enough time to show their value to an nba executive yet you know or just to show their value on an nba floor and 
whether that ends up being showing value so that the Knicks can package them for someone bigger and better and badder, um, you know, that's one thing, or whether it's just the Knicks just reap the benefits, that's a whole other thing. But either way, the Knicks have not been setting up their young guys in any sort of position to prove that one way or the other. The other thing is that young cores have expiration dates, and that's why rebuilds generally take about three, four years before you start you know, really saying, okay, you know, we got to figure out how to win now because rookie contracts are the timer. You know, the second that you draft that first guy on his rookie deal that effectively jumpstarts the rebuild, then you flip that little boggle timer over and it starts dripping sand. And you got to start thinking about like, okay, you know, we're going to make these draft picks in the next few years. What are the moves that we're going to make to build a winning team around RJ Barrett, who's the guy these, the first, well, or Mitchell Robinson, I guess kind of, I guess Mitch is technically the first one. RJ was like the first major, major domino though. Like the one that they've, you know, kind of made the biggest investment in now where they've now put the solid starter to fringe star price tag on him. Um, And so now it's like, all right, now things are getting real. Now RJ is going to be taking up, you know, let's say that, I think I just saw a report that the NBA is telling teams to expect the salary cap in 23-24 to potentially be like $132 million or something like that. So if you're going off of that number, then that means, okay, R.J. Barrett is now going to be taking up if all the incentives kick in, which maybe they don't. But let's even just say without incentives, like he's going to be taking up $27 million of our $130 million total, which is a, a large And just to clarify for listeners – Incentives do count towards the cap, right? Uh, I don't believe they do unless they kick in. I could be wrong. Well, because I guess the question is if Marge's incentive is, let's say, make an all-star game, but we can still sign someone with that cap that hasn't been used, right? Like if he makes the all-star game after the fact and we sign someone, like that doesn't reduce the next flexibility, right? If there are ways in which it does, like I'm actually just asking too, because I, I don't know. Yeah, that might that might be one that I would have to go look at, like CBA FAQ for or something, or just call Jeremy Cohen, like I'm on a who wants to be a millionaire using my call friend right now. Um, <laughs> I don't think uh, that's we don't have any money. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, damn. All right. Well, I'm not answering this question on principle then. Um, <laughs> if you start, if you start, if we start issuing Strickland NFTs, then I can pay you in those. But... Strickland NFTs. Yes. Um, so that's, that's the next question, Alex. When are the Strickland <laughs> NFTs coming out? <laughs> uh, right after the, um, what's another absurd object that we could come out with? Uh, right after the Strickland Teslas come out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, at any rate, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, to get back to my other point, like it, you just made this big investment in RJ next, next summer, you're going to have to make a, a decision on, do we want to make a big investment in OB and IQ? And then the summer after that, you're going to have to make a big decision about, do we want to make an investment in, in Grimes and uh, McBride or actually before that with McBride and actually same thing with Sims, like McBride and Sims, you might have to decide as soon as like next summer or the summer after that, but like not just for an extension, like, for a full on extra contract. So it's like everybody loves to to you know talk about like oh the young core is great, you know whatever, but if you're not utilizing them properly and utilizing their develop when, development window properly, 
you're not just doing them a disservice by not giving them more reps to get better, but you're also doing yourself a disservice by not knowing how to evaluate them and then potentially overpaying based off untapped potential that could have been tapped or not tapped during, you know, their tenure um, with the team during their rookie contract. And it's just, it, it, it gets messy. And like, I just feel like the Knicks have really, by virtue of, I mean, RJ is the one where I do feel like they have, they've done it right with RJ and they've actually kind of done it right with Mitch too, where both those guys were given a lot of playing time to figure things out and to figure themselves out with Mitch. They, they took a good approach where they said, you know what, like we're not going to start him for a little while, but we're going, this was back in like his rookie and then his sophomore season. Like we're not going to start him but we'll have him close games and, you know, no matter what, he's going to get like the most minutes of our centers, but you know, he's just not going to start because he's not comfortable going out there and starting quite yet. Um, so they did that the right way with RJ. They just kind of threw him right in right away. And that was obviously the best decision. I think that he's progressed really nicely and quickly in Obi though. And to a lesser extent Grimes now it's sort of like, well, these guys, I feel like if, if quickly and Obi have another year this coming year, that's been like their first two. If you ask me this time next year, like, Oh, would you give them a contract extension? I'd be like, I, I don't know what to pay them, you know, I, cause I'm not going to know what to, what to make of them going down the line. So, you know, I think that's where it comes down. This all circles back to the initial question. Sorry. I went on a tangent, but like the initial question of like, do I think that the Knicks should, pay to get off of randall and fournier like this is a another brain disagreeing with the heart my brain says no because i'm like why would you want to waste assets on that that could be used on something else but uh, i guess the other part of my brain also says like you just acquired those assets to try to get donovan mitchell and then danny ainge basically told you to shove those protected picks up your ass and they didn't care about them at all and that you just basically wasted your so 11 pick to- do you think yeah. that was a, a bad trade, that 11th pick trade? I did at the time, and then I softened on it when I said I would love to be proven wrong by the Knicks getting Donovan Mitchell using these picks in part, and then they didn't, and the package that ultimately got Mitchell was all unprotected picks, which then makes me think, like, well, shit, those picks are stupid then. Like, I, yeah, I, I definitely well, I mean, think... It, I think a lot of people will say... You could have taken, I mean, Ochag, Jabi, Ugbaji, sorry. Ugbaji was in the deal, right? Is that the calculus? You're, like, if they had taken him, I that was not my preference. I would have taken Tari Eason. But, you know, I know you follow the draft pretty closely as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would have made the difference? Like, keeping that pick and taking a guy, do you think that would have been a more valuable trade asset? It's possible. I, I certainly think in that deal it would have been because, like, I think – particularly with a guy like Eason and I'm with you, I would have taken Eason there too. I think Eason or, or Griffin, um, I think would have been my choice. Yeah. Griffin, Griffin. just because it was like Griffin. I'm not a medical guy. So that's, I think Griffin was clearly the, like the safe pick in that sense, but it's tough to know what, I mean, he fell to 16 for a reason. So I'm sure there were, I feel like it was medicals and, you know, so if that's what it is, you pass on him, but like, you know, yeah, I, I like I loved Eason. I thought to myself, like, man, in a world where Randall ends up not on this team, like Eason would be great to slot in right behind Obi Toppin, but also be able to sort of maybe shift to small ball five or maybe shift to like big three minutes for a little bit. 
um, with the way. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think Eason was the guy. Like when we talk about Obi playing the five, mm-hmm. I think the limitations he has to do that, like Eason has, like Eason can play five and be like yeah. happy with it, you know. So exactly, Ethan, you'd so, be happy with it. So yeah. But so then to, to your point, like, would he have been more valuable? I do think that there's something to be said for like. Eason went out there and like crushed it in summer league. And I know it's only summer league, but like he had a really great showing for himself and already started showing like, Hey, maybe this, like he was looking like the better player on the floor next to a a top three pick, you know? And so if he was given that stage with the Knicks, which the Knicks were clearly, you know, they were pumping up Grimes this year. And I think that inflated Grimes' value to a degree. They made the finals. So, yeah. yeah, and like just if you open up, like they were a good summer league team, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like the role that they entrusted Grimes with this year, right. being like the engine, you know, like if you had Easton out there playing like he was for the Rockets, you know, summer league team alongside Grimes, maybe those two become like centerpiece players in a Mitchell trade, and you can give up only the two unprotected picks that you want to give up, and then maybe give up that protected Mavericks pick you already had and call it a day, or like a swap or two. And then maybe that's the deal. And then you still have some powder left in the, the keg to burn later on if you need it. So, yeah, I mean, I I didn't love that trade at the time. I've like re-soured on it because I thought I was going to be proven wrong for a minute. So I was like gearing myself up to eat crow about not being thrilled about that trade. And now I'm kind of back to the point where I'm like, no, I was <laughs> I feel vindicated now. Like, I think that trade was stupid. These picks are so protected that they're more or less like glorified second rounders, at least in the views of like what a a GM is going to value in a trade. Um, so because they like these guys like things that they can hold in their hand, not a you know it's like it's like handing handing Danny Age an unprotected first round pick is like handing him a dollar bill, and to use another analogy from a second ago, like handing him a top 18 protected Washington pick is like handing him an NFT. Like he doesn't know what the hell he's looking at. He's like, how do I use this? Like, is this currency? Like the, what, when is this going to convey? Like what, what does this get me? And, you know, is this just going to turn into second round picks? If that team is terrible for a long time, you know, like it's, I feel like it's a lot more theoretical. Yeah, I, I, think, those. I do think it's worth mentioning that those picks are not going to turn to seconds for a long time. Like, I think it's fairly safe to say they'll convey. But I do think that the uncertainty around those... Um, I, I, I'm not sure I agree with you. I I like Tari because I wanted him on the Knicks. Not because I, I don't know how to... You know, teams are going to have different valuations of players and stuff. Um, Ochai Baji was used in the Cavs deal, and I, I had him in, like, the 30s on my draft board. I wasn't really very high on him at all. Um, but... I do think there's something to be said about, you know, I think Brock Aller and the front office and his, you know, his influence in the front office operates on this idea that, um, you know, it not it's not an idea. It's pretty proven that, like, once you turn a pick into a player, it's like driving a car off the lot, right? It's less valuable. Um, but I think other teams are, it's like when Hinky traded, you know, he traded, um, he traded. Um, he, he took on Jason Thompson and a couple of other bad contracts from the. And it wasn't just Sam Hinkie. It was I think it was Daryl Morey. He took on a couple of bad contracts from the Kings for first round picks. Kings didn't sign anyone worthwhile. They still sucked. And I think at the time that was still a revolutionary idea, right? <laughs> that like 
you can take on bad contracts with picks and they're probably going to be good. And teams just, I've, I've heard podcasts where people are like, teams just won't fight over protections um, because, you know, they're maintaining relationships or whatever. They don't see it as worth it. I wonder if that arbitrage, like another part of that is like future picks are more valuable than current picks, right? Given how the average value, you know, pans out um, for, you know, non top three picks. I wonder if that arbitrage opportunity, right, where Brock Aller can be like, we should be trading, like, this pick, if he's not going to play, we should be trading this, like, future draft picks are more valuable. I wonder if that's drying out because teams that are going to deal with business with you are going to be like, we're protecting the shit out of those, you know? So, like, there's not a much value to be gained there. Um, but that's, um, that's something, you know... Um, I think it's interesting to think about um, would the Knicks have been better off? I, I think I default to, I don't think the Knicks expected Donovan Mitchell to be available this year. I think the picks, the value of those picks will probably be a little bit higher next year when there's more certainty about uh, particularly the Pistons and the Wizards. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. I'll just say briefly and then I'll throw it to you, Miranda to speak up. Cause I feel like we've been going on for like 15 minutes between the two of us, but um, I'll just say in regards to the, the like more valuable before you or cars more valuable on the lot before you drive it off philosophy, the one in the hand, two in the bush, whatever you want to call it with draft picks. Like I think the only difference with that is like, if I could give you in theory, a number 25 overall pick or now the player that we know Quentin Grimes is, I think you would take Quentin Grimes every time. Same with quickly. So like, if you have a team that is proving really good at weaponizing their draft picks in the best way possible, which I think the Knicks and the Leon Rosier, that's been yep. the one constant, you know, has been like draft and much, develop. Yeah. They've, and it, not even necessarily with develop as much, but like they definitely drafted great. Like they found great value at like the 25th pick. If they had taken Eason and Walt Perrin had said, that's the dude. And, he showed out in summer league for the team and looked like a real NBA player. I think that's more valuable than the, than the theoretical value of a bunch of picks that might convey in the late teens or something. Um, because I don't know if every team necessarily trusts themselves to nail every draft pick. Um, I think a lot of teams play the volume game, which is what we're seeing now with like the thunder and like the Rockets, it'll start happening Jazz. soon. The Cavs have done that in the past. The um, Utah's the, doing it now too. Exactly. Now the Jazz are getting in on the game of just saying, we're just going to get as many picks as humanly possible and hope we draft the next savior. But, you know, I, I think if you draft well, you can turn a mid to late first round pick into a player that's much more valuable than the, the pick was itself prior to that. Um, which is why I think in part I I was so disappointed to see the Knicks not make the pick, which maybe it was just their indictment of the draft class too. Maybe that's just them saying nobody's worth it. And maybe I should just trust them on that too, based off what I just said, that they're very good at evaluating talent, but I don't know. That's why it sort of run me the wrong way when they made the trade. And I, I guess I'll, again, I'm ready to eat crow at any given moment about the values of those picks, but I said then, and I still sort of am clinging to it a little bit now. Like, I didn't love the deal because I just don't feel like those first round picks are going to be huge needle movers. Like, I think it's going to be like 
you have to include three of those to equal one regular first round pick that you could just give like one of your unprotected ones. And like, how much does that really swing in the, the needle here, you know, in, in, a, in any given trade negotiation, how bad does it make you look when you eventually have to give up like quote unquote, six first round picks to make a deal, even though three of them are heavily protected. I just feel like it's sort of a lose lose all around, but Matt, I, I'm curious what you think about that. Sorry. I just rambled after I was saying, I was going to throw it to you. Do you think that the, the public image of the Knicks assets values may be distorted by the fact that like Utah Ainge, there seemed to be a specific, like they didn't like how the Knicks behaved. They, there was kind of an anti Donovan, like slightly anti Donovan thing going on to the point where there were like reports from, you know, historically credible reporters about the fact that, like, there might have been attacks on the Knicks. And sometimes, you know, we usually think of attacks as something that is um, taken from you in a material sense. But it's possible, or I'm curious if you think it's possible that um, a different organization facing the same situation might not only have had a different value of the players in general, as front offices do, but that Ainge and the Utah front office might have been harder on the Knicks than your average front office would have been in this position. Is that crazy, or do you think that could be a thing? I don't. I I don't know if I would call it crazy, but I certainly think that they got the value that they wanted eventually. I mean, I was trying to think about this, like. What's the Knicks equivalent of Sexton, Markinen, and Agbaji? You know, is it like the the problem is the Knicks don't really have like those like middle tier young players. You know, they kind of have either these guys that we're like pretty high on, like Obi Quickly, Grimes. Um, I guess they have like McBride. Maybe could fall in like that category of like a Markinen or like. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I mean let's. But Markinen's been paid, right? So if we play this yeah. out, right. I think Sexton and RJ are the closest analog, right? Because Sexton signed an extension immediately. RJ signed for a little bit more. Um, right. Is that fair to RJ, say? Or? Except RJ plays defense and isn't. No, I'm, I'm not. Talk, but I'm strictly <laughs> talking about value. Yeah, I, I am. I am definitely would prefer RJ to Sexton, but that seems to be the analog in this deal in terms of the parts, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, which I think. It, doesn't benefit the Knicks, you know what I mean? If if that's like the equivalency they would have had to draw or whatever, I'm like, well, damn, you're gonna lose no matter what then, because if you have to match Colin Sexton with RJ Barrett, like you're already yeah. behind the eight ball, and then they're still gonna put you over a barrel and be like, well, we no, you still got to give us the same amount of picks though, as and whatever, however you view Agbaji, essentially another first round pick, right? They just picked him. It, Exactly, which they would probably be like, and Grimes, and then they'd be like, also instead of marking in, we want Obi because we want a power forward too, you know, like. So if we if so if we hadn't traded for those three unprotected firsts, and we had, so would you have done Eason three unprotecteds, um, plus RJ, plus we don't have really have an equivalent of Lowry, um, let's say Fournier and like. You know, let's the Dallas sort of, protected. Yeah. Let's say Fournier and the Dallas protected equals Lowry. Would you have mm-hmm. done that? I mean, I wouldn't have been happy about it. 
I would have eventually talked myself into it. Like I talk myself into everything. If it was me making the decision, I would have been like, nah, kick rocks. Like, which is basically what Leon did probably. And is that fair to say that would have been the price? Like if we don't make that trade, you know, out of the first round, I guess like, I don't know. Cause you know, again, I just don't think that there's great player analogs, but picks wise, you know, even with the amount of picks that the Cavs gave up, that was, that was about the number where I was saying like, for weeks or whatever, like if they start asking for like three unprotected first round picks and like swaps and all this other crap, like that's where I start thinking like, all right, well, is Mitchell really how Mitchell? I think I'm kind of curious what you guys think. Do you guys think like my thought after this deal is the Cavs made themselves into actual potential Eastern conference contenders? Like that has a lot. I agree. That has a, that doesn't have to do with Darius Garland, by the way, or it does a little bit. But the guy that makes me think that is the fact that I think they got a, they have a generational player on their roster with Mobley. Yeah, I was talking about Isaac Okoro actually, but <laughs> that's right, that's right. No, the prospect of them. No, it's it's Mobley, um, and and it's also like what was the biggest thing we worried about when we traded for? We we're talking about the Mitchell trade. Well, how is it Brunson Mitchell? Back personally, I think those were a little bit overblown, and like I think that I do think I agree. I think the the Knicks front office's stand like stance is we're gonna make net add add value moves, right? So if we can add value, we're gonna do that. So they would have thought we can add Mitchell for a price that we feel is like a win for us. We'll worry about the fit with Brunson later. But the Cavs actually had a better answer for how to manage that, right? Because they have. Um, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen um, behind him. So, um, yeah, like I actually, um, I, I think you're 100% right. Like that's that's a really, they had the ability to make that move. But given that it was, I, I don't think three, I don't think there was a trade around three unprotecteds unless the Knicks kept all of their, I think even with the three unprotecteds request, the Knicks would have had to give up two of, the big four, I'll call their big four prospects, right? IQ, Grimes, RJ, and Obi. That, to, like, where are you going from there? You're, you're not going anywhere. Uh, and I, like, I guess, you know, I, I, I hear you on the player evals being tough to equivalent, you know, um, create equivalencies across, but I don't see it. I do not see a trade Utah would have accepted that didn't include RJ, one of those three other guys. And three unprotected. At which point you're like, to me, that's a hard no. Yeah, no, it would be for me too. Like you're really setting yourself up shit's creek that way. Like, Matt, you know are you, are you saying yes to? Is there any permutation of that deal that you're saying yes to? Honestly, if it starts with RJ and still ends with three first round picks, no. Like, no. It's just I would have never done it. I don't know, Matt. What do you like? If if they only wanted if they if they said we want RJ three firsts and like whatever salary to match. I think they it. would have wanted one of quickly Grimes and OB2. That's but even if even if they didn't, would you have done that? RJ salary to match and three hundred protected. And swaps. And two swaps, yeah. I would do it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I because, mean, I just... because 100% because of the 2004 Pedro to the Mets thing, where like I think, mm-hmm. I really think 
bringing Mitchell in is not it's not the same for the Knicks as it is for every other team. Like getting him in there and having like a tangible thing to appeal to great players when they become available, not videos from the Sopranos actors and not like fake ass having your name in the Raptors and shit. Like you have Donovan Mitchell to present. You would have some other young talent also to present. You would still have some draft assets because you've collected so many. To me, like it's RJ specific for me because RJ to me is so nebulous. Like I love him because he's my guy that my team drafted and he's the highest picks in shooting and I like him a lot and I've liked watching him grow and I think his ceiling is still, you know, something I'm excited about. But like part of my brain is like, is he a great shooter? No. Is he a great defender? No. Is he a great like what's his best skill and how high is that? I'm not sure it's holding what I make of him yet. Donovan Mitchell is young enough still. So he's not like 27 or 28. He's like 25. He's young enough that like, all right, give me that. I have something tangible for once. And and multiplying that by whatever star comes next is totally worth RJ in three firsts. Yeah, I, I hear that. I would, you know, I guess I would just want to be more cautious, which is why. But, you know, I, I I still view RJ as a potential all-star. And I don't know if he would necessarily be a Mitchell-level guy, but I do think that he's he's very well connected with that next crop of guys that are going to start becoming available, which I think if he makes that next leap and doesn't even become like a, a – 27 to 30 point per game type score like Mitchell is, but it hangs around that like 23, 24 point per game, like guy that can eventually be your Chris Middleton on a really good team. I think that he has still has enough cachet with his generation, like the new, like Gen Z generation of stars to eventually get someone to the Knicks. So I think that's where my hope would be. And then eventually you'll be able to do that without with, with all of your stuff in tow already all your draft picks still hanging out and maybe that's where the protective picks become more valuable as they get closer to like all right like this should convey next year now so are you good with that <laughs> like where you could sell that in a in a trade it's not like well it might be next year or it might be 2024 or 2025 or 2026 we're not totally sure <laughs> um you know you could start saying like oh zion williamson wants out now go figure because every player ends up wanting out of new orleans eventually when they hit their mid-20s um, you know, now we have the stuff to go get him and, you know, RJ Barrett's here and he's not as good as Zion, but he's definitely a good enough recruiter and well-respected. I mean, if you had to hang out with Mason Ginsburg, wouldn't you want to get out of New Orleans too? Does, does Zion, oh God, does Zion have to hang out with Mason Ginsburg? Not just probably get covered not, by him? but that would probably expedite things. So that would, that would definitely be like, Ooh, <laughs> man, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, going back to Matt. Um, you're if you had to throw in out of quickly Obi and Grimes, you had to throw in your favorite player out of those three. Would you do that deal still? With RJ, yeah, and the three unprotected. I don't know if I'm. I don't. Uh, you want the one I would most likely throw in the deal, or the one I would least likely throw in the deal? Well, would you do? 
Yeah, sure. But I mean, if you had to throw the guy that you like the most, would you do that? Out of IQ, Grimes, and Obi? Yeah. Uh, the one of those guys that I like the most is uh... wow, that's really weird. But I mean, wh- whoever it is, if you had to throw them in a, in addition, are you, is that still like you trade them for Mitchell? Yeah, I would still do it. Wow. Because, um, like, I don't. Like when I was talking before, I think about RJ and All Stars. If I if I gave you the line now, one and a half, RJ Barrett career All Star appearances. Are you taking the over or the under? I would take the over because my predicted is two. But yeah, that's Alice. What, Alice, what would you say? I would say over. Over. over one you both say over. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my over is like I predict it's going to be two. So it's like, I think that's a good over under. I predict 5. thirteen. Starting with, uh, quickly three, Grimes three. and quickly Grimes and Obi, same line one and a half. Are you taking the over for any of them? Over. You are for, for as a group. I'm definitely thinking over. No, no, each individual. Like, will Obi? Obi, if I give you Obi one and a half, is he over? Is he's under for one and a half? Quickly, I'm. Yeah, I'm gonna say fuck it. I'm gonna say quickly two over All Star. Like in terms of impact, in terms of impact, Grimes zero. Uh, I I don't buy the interior game. Like I think I honestly think he's going to be modern day Danny Green, which is not a slight at all. Danny Green signed an eleven million dollar a year contract to win more rings in San Antonio, which is probably the biggest deal ever. Shout out to Lai. Yeah, Uh, Danny Green, Mikael Bridges. I think he'll be that level of player that is not an all-star. So I'm going to go with under for Grimes. I, I would probably go under on all three. I you think don't think quickly make it one point? You don't think quickly make an all-star? 1.5, so that would mean more than one. I think maybe he'll get one. I don't know if he'll get two. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think I'd go under on all three. I think they're all going to be solid starters. I actually, ironically, I think... Well, not ironically. I mean, whatever. I, I actually kind of think Obi might be the one that I would be the most inclined to give the over on just because he he's going to put up numbers. Yeah. I could see a world where if he gets fully unleashed, he'll be a 2010 guy, 2010 and four or something like that. Um, which those sort of guys make all-star teams. They're on really good teams. You know, if he's like the third best player on a team, that's like the three seed or something, he could definitely get on that way. So if the Knicks had a player that averaged 2010 and five last year, would you see him as Right, but the difference would be, the, <laughs> difference would be that Obi would be doing it on like eighteen percent usage versus like thirty yeah, percent, probably like sixty six true shooting, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little different, and those those stats do matter to guys now when they're voting for like you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, it's also like those kind of things show up when you watch the games. Like if you watch, mm-hmm. you don't need advanced analytics to tell you that Randall's twenty ten and five wasn't really. It's not the same thing as KG going twenty ten and five, right? So mm-hmm. exactly. We talked a lot about R.J. Barrett earlier. R.J. Barrett, obviously, the man who broke the curse of Charlie Ward and extended as a first-round pick with the Knicks. Last question of the night for me is the curse of Mike Tony. Pringles, of course, the last Knicks coach to last at least three full seasons. Tom Thibodeau enters year three 
asking you today, will Tom Thibodeau get to the end of season three? First of all, that's a wild stat that I had never thought about. That... It gets weirder. Then, then the last one before him is like Van Gundy. Like it's a, it's not just like this century. You go all through Nick history, other than like Holzman and like two other people, they change shit up. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna say no. He's not going to. He's gonna get fired. Twenty games in the season. Twenty games in. Yep. I think twenty. Even right. even Mark Berman said that, and I know that Mark Berman is is like tight with Tibbs. At least that's my impression from where it seems like his info comes from. But Berman even said that, like on our podcast at one point, like unlocked on Knicks, he was like, you know, he thinks Tibbs might get like twenty games to prove that he can stay. And if they're not doing super well, they're just gonna be like, yeah, we need to change and just move on. So. Uh, I think that's the case. And I, honestly, I, st- I still think that's so stupid. I wish the teams would just be more resolute. Like, don't give these stupid... Like, don't don't set goals that you know aren't going to be achieved. You know that Tibbs isn't going to, like, fully turn this shit around. At least I, I feel pretty confident he's not going to, based off what we saw last year. He's not going to... Tol- Leopard doesn't change its spots or whatever the whole, you know, saying is. Like, he's not going to do that. So... I think it's a fool's errand. Like if they if they know that they're probably going to fire him twenty games in the season, just fire him before the season, so then Giant Johnny Bryan or whoever else can get a full training camp with these guys and everything. Um, also, like, does anybody want Tom Thibodeau having like a twenty game audition? He's going to burn the shit out of all of his players the first twenty games of the year. It's going to be six guys playing like forty five minutes. Yeah. You can't give Tom Thibodeau that kind of like here's your here's your test, Tom. He'll burn everyone out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it it comes down to if you believe, did he have... Here's the thing. He played RJ and Julius crazy minutes. He played Burks crazy minutes after Burks became point guard. Otherwise, he has shown a willingness to be democratic. As much as you know, a lot of us were thought that Alfred Payton shouldn't start, he was democratic with Alfred Payton's minutes. By the end of the season, even when he started, he wasn't getting more than 18 to 20 minutes. Um, I think that's a scenario in which it could work, but yeah. Other than that, um, because I, I mean, I think the most frustrating thing is the biggest criticism you could have of the Knicks, like from a different standpoint, is like that is a team that their bench unit for two years now is killed, right? Uh, and their starters have failed. We often use that argument to say, well, you should mix the match them a little bit more. The other argument is that. If you have a team that clearly has better depth than top-end talent, shouldn't you be using... Like, the whole point of depth, the, the reason why, you know, if you look at Nolan Richardson and 40 Minutes of Hell in college, you know, teams that have a lot of depth use that to keep their starters fresh. And we haven't gone to that, which would be fine if the starters played their ass off for 40 minutes or 48 minutes. But you see with guys like Julius Randle... Um, that doesn't always work out, but um, you know that's a way for Tibbs to take advantage. I think, right? It's like play the bench more, have more democratic, more guys in the twenty to thirty minute range than like a few guys in the thirty five plus range. Uh, and not even this is not even about load management or the injury stuff. It's just because like you're just better suited for that, right? Um, I also um, so sorry. Did you guys have any other thoughts on that or? 
Um, I had a trivia question, so Matt always has the good trivia questions. I have one. I don't know if it'll be this surprising or tough for uh, both these guys who know a lot more about the Knicks than me. Uh, so I'll say this. Who was the last Knicks draft pick to make an all-NBA team? As a Nick or just in general? Ever. Okay. But they have to be drafted by the Knicks. Alex, you're the guest. I'll give you the first crack. Sorry, I was on mute for a second. Uh, does this include all defense, or is this strictly all NBA? All NBA. Um, man, drafted by the Knicks. I feel like it's gonna be. It's gonna end up being uh, like Clyde or something. It's not Kevin Knox. I'll give you. That. Oh, I, well, no, it has to be Ewing. Ewing obviously made them. So, I I think it might be Ewing. To be honest, I can't think of another one that would have made an All NBA team that was drafted by the Knicks. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna go Ewing. Ewing is your guess, uh, Matt. I'm going to say David Lee. David Lee is a very good guess. He did make an all-star team, um, but he was, did not make an all-NBA. Patrick Ewing did make all-NBA teams. He was not the last guy. Um, here's a hint, Alex. Mm-hmm. You have a site named after the player... Who is the answer to the question? <laughs> oh, it was Rod Strickland. Oh, what do you know? Okay. That's the idiot. Yeah, he made Strickland. it with the bullets. So, yeah. Actually, because didn't he never make a... Uh, did he never make an all-star team? Was that a thing? I think that is a thing. Yeah, that's correct. But he did make the all-NBA second team in 1988. I, that's so an interesting... Yeah. He made second team and not even get the all-star game. Yeah, yeah. I always find those to be so bizarre when guys make like all league teams, but somehow didn't make the all star team that year. It's like, what was? What I think was everybody missing at all star time. Like, <laughs> there's also like I think Marc Gasol won Defensive Player of the Year, but wasn't first team All Defense one year. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know how all this stuff works, but that's an interesting fact. Fun fact. I would have never guessed that Rod. I always thought that Rod Strickland was like the. Uh, I never knew that he got an accolade like that, honestly. I thought that he – because I knew that he never made an all-star team, so I was like, oh, he was just always that, like, that dude who's, like, fringe all-star, like like Mike Conley was for, like, most yeah. of his career, you know, yeah. until he got – didn't he – he finally got an all-star nod. He recently, did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was, like, took him, like, forever and a half to finally get that one uh, or, like, a C.J. McCollum or something like that. I always thought that that was more Strickland's thing, but that's that's very interesting. They did make an all NBA. Well, I'm sure when we give the Pod Strickland Emmy speech, we will uh, will mention Rod Strickland for that fact. Um, before we take off, Alex, um, thanks so much for joining us. Did you um, was there anything you wanted to plug besides everything I plug all the time? The Strickland, all the great stuff we're doing. Yeah, just the Strickland locked on Knicks. Uh, if you don't listen to that already, we're or about to be five days a week again in the next couple weeks we've been doing you know we've been like quote unquote on vacation doing three podcasts a week 
instead slackers. Of <laughs> so um, we're about to switch back in the in the season mode again. So keep an eye out for that. Um, uh, yeah, nothing else really to plug other than those two things. So just do those. That's it. Cool. I'm gonna plug the New York Mets. Oh yeah, I'll plug the New York Mets. Bounce not the Jets, back. Though. Not the Jets after Week One. We do not, not speak of such. Things. We do not speak of such things here. Do not watch the Jets. <laughs> they are bad. You <laughs> didn't give up fun. 35 points to the Lions. So that's good. Yeah, I mean they're just oh the Jets though man it was it was ugly that offensive line is a disaster area right now so. Not there is a certain league. kindness in a team letting you know from the start that they don't have it. No, like, you yeah. can put your hope away right now. You don't get, you're not going to get hurt. Like, like oh, Joe, Joe Flacco only gets uh, 1.5 seconds to process any given play. All right, this is going to be – I already know how today's going to go. It's done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, yeah, that, that's it. But thanks for having me on, guys. This is very, very stimulating. Yeah, thank you so much, dude. It's always it comes, good to have you on. It comes so easily. With uh, with a bunch of old pros like us, when you just get on a mic, but <laughs> peek behind the curtain, anyone that made it this far in the pod before we started, we were like, "What are we going to talk about?" And we were like, oh, "I don't know." We just like figure it out. So it's it's always fun. Yeah, super cool. So that's it for this episode of the Believe Next Pod. We will say goodbye, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.